Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 90. We've hit the big 9 again, ever closer to 100. Uh, we've booked in some very interesting guests moving forward. I'm actually just going to announce one flat out now because I am so proud to have it done. Uh, we've just booked Dennis McKenna for the first episode in September, which is an episode like 97, 6, something like that. My math is terrible when I'm this high and happy. Uh, but yeah, we've got some very, very interesting people in the pipeline. I don't know who we're going to have for episode 100. Actually, drop us some suggestions in the comments below. I do want to make it, you know, kind of a, a milestone episode as it is our first century. Many more to come, I know. But still, the first is the first, and I want to mark it appropriately. So anyway, folks, uh, as we move to, ever towards this uh, century of episodes, I wanted to sort of catch you up on a few different subjects. So we've got a few specials coming as well, which is multiple guests kind of catching up on subjects, not just kind of who the uh, personalities are and the people themselves, but what is going on within sort of aspects of the industry, what is going on with, you know, regulations, with framework, with legality. Because, you know me, guys, I'm, I'm a bit fastidious and I like to, uh, to, to know everything. And to be honest, I've spent about eight months ignoring CBD because it's such a clusterfuck. So today is effectively the CBD special. And we have two wonderful guests for you today who are previous uh, Simple Life uh, guests. They are, I was going to say, guests in the government identifies as numbers now. You're all losing your names, folks. If you come on the program now, you're just numbers. They are guest 80 and 75. My notes are terrible at it. Um, and they are the chair of the Scottish Hemp Association and, the, and founder of Holistic Highland Hemp and the founder of the Hemp Hound Agency. They are Kevin Jones and Kyle Esplin, uh, respectively. How are you doing, gentlemen? I'm all good, sir, and yourself? I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good. How are you keeping, Kyle? Uh, great, Semper, good to be here. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, we're obviously trying to put this together for a little while. Um, obviously, it's an ever-evolving situation, and there's there's only so much we could cover in the next sort of hour or two as we go forward. So I think I just kind of want to start at the beginning, because I, like I said, I've checked out of this for most of this year because everything else has been moving in different sectors and different quarters. So I suppose the first question to you both is, well, what the fuck is happening with CBD in the UK? Where are we? What's, what's happening? Oh, Kyle, do you want to go first? Oh, you, you, you go for it. On you go. <laughs> oh, all right there, basically. So we as an industry have been put through an entire process that has, uh, shall we say, um, beard scratching worthy. And that's because there's been lots of kind of contradictions, whether that's, uh, you, you know, have you had a product uh, uh, on the shelves at a certain time or, you know, whether we are or we're not following the one milligram rule or whatever is going on. So um, in a nutshell, uh, I've felt the need to do an investigation on all of the current companies that have been validated. Now, just to kind of clear this up, right, validated companies are companies that have completed their applications and that the FSA have accepted that they have a product with an application going on. Whereas the vast majority of the industry right now with applications, they are basically in a stage otherwise known as awaiting evidence. Now, it's the validated companies that are interesting because from my understanding, uh, a fair few of them certainly didn't have products on sale that the whole industry needed to have products on sale. And there are a couple who, shall we say, uh, technically more drug than uh, food. And then, of course, we do have the synthetic cannabinoid issue, which um, is really questionable. Uh, now, one of the big issues to know about novel foods is that we're working off guidelines that are based around isolate uh, 
specifically CBD isolate of pharmaceutical grade. Now that is being used to determine the requirements for all of the products, whether they're full spectrum, broad spectrum, synthetic. Now that then lies the problem. So we have products on there that are gauged by different guidelines versus products on there that shouldn't even be there. Um, and oof, it's a bit confusing. I, I think that's a fair assumption, isn't it, Kyle? Yeah, um, well, th that's exactly that's exactly right. And where we are is exactly where I expected things would be. <laughs> this is exactly like if you said to me a few years ago, when this started three years ago, whatever, do you think after all this process and all this time, we would be in this state of confusion and all this? I would say, yes, that's exactly what I expect of this process to be. So for everyone who's like, disappointed, frustrated, find out I'm going, it's like, well, but they're always like, <laughs> buy the ticket, take the ride, as they say, you know, that uh, that's what was being offered at the start of the process. And for some reason, people said, oh, wow, this is the, this is the solution that the CBD industry is needing. This is what it needs to clear the air from all the bad press of the cowboys and the THC that's in the products. And now we're going through with the system with as high levels of THC as there has been generally in uh, products and our food standards are saying that they're not looking at the THC levels. They're only interested in the safety of the toxicity side of it, which is an interesting take for food standards to, to, <laughs> to say about the, um, the trace amounts of other cannabinoids, the milligram content after all the press it got, you know, the press was thrown in with this confusion of this process is going to sort all the bad press about trace THC. There was no headline saying, wow, this is what we need. We're going to test out CBD on rats' livers and see how toxic, see if it's safe for consumption. Yeah, this is what we're needing. Like that, that wasn't the way it was pitched. There was just general confusion. And a lot of people in the picture were like, oh, great, there's a process. This will be the solution. So yeah, there's a process. <laughs> great, get on board. So let's see where it goes, you know. But uh, here we are with no sign of any clarity on the horizon um, I mean my concerns really for all the folks who are investing in things in this process where it is and like in Europe being asked now with human trials and I think Europe's now separated the way they're looking at synthetic and natural which they weren't before that's under EFSA I don't think F FSA hasn't stated I think that was on the recent update with the human trials but like, I feel that by the time we get through this for companies, after all this work to prove some small amount of cannabinoids in what is a food product, countries are going to move on to legal cannabis market access. Um, and there's a lot of companies out there who are pushing for that to happen. And I think the, some of the companies who they're not just viewing it in, let's say, the traditional sense of the higher THC market and the higher market share of cannabis consumers as they perceive that range to be, but also possibly dragging the sort of uh, what we've known to be full-spectrum hemp extracts, putting them into the new cannabis space to get around the whole food product thing and just, uh, you know, this is what's going on just now and that could be some other way to, to tackle it. For, so for the co companies who are all in this with all these questions and then there's the other ones who have the, the the full spectrum products on the list and 
so, so I know of some companies who are on the list with full spectrum who don't think they're going to be successful. They think at some point they're going to be removed, even though it says they're going forward just now. You know, they don't know is this over the one milligram rule or whatever else will come up about that. But um, same as my conversations with Food Standards Scotland up here, it just it doesn't seem clear for for full spectrum extracts from the the way it's been discussed. Like. Um, you know, if half a milligram of CVG needs to be proven safe for toxicity next and all the other trace amounts, um, I don't know. So it's all kind of what expected to be. And it's really, really slowed down the industry. I mean, the lockdown was bad enough for the little companies and things with all the especially like shopping centers as well were knocked on foot traffic for some of those, let's say, on the ground distribution chains that were outside of the big high street names. And um it's it's really slowed things down, I, I think, for the industry. Um, and it's also made it awkward of the, the just, yeah, just the uncertainty, the way, the way it's just continuing as it was, the way folks have invested a lot of money for something different. It's not even clear what that different is. It's going to be successful, so it's... <laughs> Yeah, and if I can just add to to, to you there, Kyle, um, I, I, I you're spot on, mate. Uh, uh, but I think that it, it comes down to to what's actually uh, recognised as a food crime, and that is compromising the validity of a foodstuff. Now, if you think about it, 16 lab reports for pharmaceutical grade isolate does not represent uh, full spectrum, broad spectrum synthetic at all. But then that's still being used to carry those products through, right? That's, that's compromising the validity. But there's also two uh, different uh, food crimes known as misrepresentation and substitution, right? And misrepresentation is exactly as it sounds. You know, if you say something is this, it has to be this. So you are having issues there with the likes of synthetic products that don't need to be labeled as being synthetic. Substitution, well, that's that's an area where you're, forcing, you're putting requirements on a food or you're creating a food and you're not kind of labeling it appropriately if you kind of get where i'm yeah, going you, so you say that something is banana if it's banana flavored if, you know what i mean there was a big big exactly. thing around flavored the language of, of marketing of foodstuffs yeah so basically on the nutshell on the basis of that the home i uh, sorry the food standards agency are endorsing food crimes that are, are effectively clamping down uh, the ability for the CBD industry to grow. Yeah, I think that is quite fair. Um, before we sort of move on with anything, there's an interesting analogy that came to mind. Maybe it's got something to do with the sheer amount of fucking hours I've done on the road recently. But imagine we're in a four-lane highway and we're driving A to B. A is where the fuck we are. B is where we want to be in terms of full decriminalization, deschedulization, legalization, whatever the, the ultimate pinnacle is. <clears throat> and there's traffic. And we're weaving between lanes, or at least a lot of people are. And so they see, oh, CBD's moving. All right, let's bank all our stuff into CBD, knowing that they want to get to THC in the full market. And then that slows down the regulations. They go, oh, oh, change the language. All right, move lanes. All right, we're hemp now. Hemp, go, go, go. So we're fighting for hemp and they're driving. Oh, traffic again, slowed down. All right, switch. Oh, medical's now on board. Go to medical. Now we're medical. Oh. And so it feels to me that this divisional attitude amongst it's it's these vulture capitalists sorry venture cap <laughs> that was a bad slip uh, venture capitalists um that are, they're not interested in the they don't want to get there they want to be the ones that when whoever gets there they make that money back from 
So they, they don't care about who gets crashed, what whatever. They're not caring about the, the road itself and the journey and all the rest of it. They only want to make sure they're getting their bank in between. So they're the ones that are flashing and letting you into that other lane rather than you going, no, no, let's stay over here and keep going. Do you know what I mean? And there could be a collective, it's an analogy starting to break down, but a collective effort to get through that traffic. Say it's like, again, motorways could be driving a lot of motorways on a night. They go from three lanes to one and you get that merge. And some day, some nights you'll end up there for half a fucking hour because no one will let the other car in. But if everyone let every other one in, within a few minutes, everyone would flow and you'd be fucking through it. And that's kind of where we are now with this cannabis reform. And I think a lot of people from CBD that went to hemp that are now medical, that have gone medical to hemp, and they're just trying to get through that traffic and now starting to get so frustrated and detached from it that there is now space again for that collective conversation to go, wait, where are we all trying to get? Let's work together. Do you know what I mean? Because they've tied us in knots. They're now tricking cones in the middle of lanes that we didn't expect. There's cars breaking down in front of us. And these obstacles can't be surmounted individually. And it has to be, in my opinion, sort of collectively. Because otherwise they're going to own that CBD lane and they'll never let you in. It'll be all Mercedes and BMW drivers. And they'll be, nah, they're not letting no one in. And they're getting that fast lane and they're going. And you'll be stuck there watching them in your hemp lane, in your medical lane, in your whatever. Whereas if we all cannabis again that's where the analogy breaks down we we get there faster you know no no i agree with you on that mate you know at the end of the day cannabis is a food before medicine in my eyes um and you you know the more we do kind of get trapped by this food uh sorry this recreational medicinal angle um we we are detracting from the point and becoming splintered left right even even food food is a use not a, a a moniker it's not a name cannabis is first and foremost is a plant it grows as a plant then in through action it becomes other things it can become a battery it can become a drug it can become a medicine it can become do you know what i mean a weapon theoretically it could be do you know so i think that's where i'm trying to go with with my kind of argument moving forward is we need to win the plant back because if we have the right to the plant you can fill your house with it and do whatever and no problem but then if you want to sell it onto an open market then there'll be regulations rules and laws and, and hygiene standards etc but if you then want to like give a, somebody a mate in the same way you give tomatoes out your greenhouse, do you know what I mean? Yeah, then if you want to make a ketchup company, it's going to cost you some investment. You've got to go through all the loopholes and do it correctly. And I think that's where we need to almost get to is the majority of people that are really well-intentioned that run brands, companies, agencies, organizations that are cannabis, that I think that's what they need to almost get back to. They got We got distracted. We're all getting frustrated and we just want to get ahead. And we're thinking two cars, that's 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 enough. I'll, I'll fucking cut in front of this guy, you know, and burn a bridge and not be able to get back into that lane. And that's kind of where we are at the minute. We're all just enraged by this need to, to get there, in, 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 my, in my opinion. So, yeah, I agree. It should be a food first. Then if you choose drug second, because it's, if you use it as a food, you don't then need it as a medicine or a therapeutic, prophylactic, et cetera, because it already is. But then if you want to choose to use it as an euphorian, an intoxicant, then that's your free will to do so in the same way if you wanted to build a, a bed out of crates and then sleep on calling every night it's your prerogative you know there is no misuse of the drug there you know doing shotguns out of cans is not a misuse so all of these things where they're talking us into very narrow pathways of going you allowed it but you have to see this person once a month you have to pay them this you're only allowed to vaporize it you're only allowed to use this vaporization product you're only allowed to do it at this time of day at this place this, da, da, da. like that's not the, the right avenues for me like, again, I believe the ultimate end of this, if the war wins, 
CBD is an industry is ubiquitous because then the people that are in CBD want to fucking be in CBD. They're not trying to shortcut to get hemp licenses or shortcut to run a, a club or a dispensary or whatever. They're actually people that love and have a passion for this one molecule, this one part of cannabis. And they should belong in that lane in the same way the people that want to grow the low cultivars, the people that want to be bud tenders. You know, there are vendors in this country that can identify a cultivar from a smell across the room. You can't train that. You can't teach that. You can't buy that. But that skill set should belong where the marketplace is. And like I said, I think the, the more we can do to unmuddy the waters, the, the better we go. So with this whole CBD thing, then what's what's the general consensus of the people? Because I agree. I've seen so many shut shops when I've traveled around the UK for this product earth tour, so many CBD businesses that have gone under, so many wholesalers even as well that have just, just shut doors. So, like, what's the consensus that you guys are hearing from your different sort of socials and your uh, networks? My, um, I was going to say, my, my view on what happened with all that was, uh, it, it ties in with some of the developments in the States. Um, I think it's quite interesting. Like, I feel it was where CBD isolate turned up on the market, um, which was a few years after whole plant extracts started it off. And the middlemen salesmen thought this was the key to everlasting cannabis supplement sales figure growth. And this would be snapped up by High Street, High Street and everywhere. And everyone went all in on isolate to the point where the market crashed, you know, a year or two ago with, um, with isolate. And there was a lot of companies, it was, you know, from a year or two ago when all this started, who had isolate in stock, which was worth a lot less than they paid for it, you know, a few months earlier. And they were either going to have to work very hard to get it back through the markup in products, or that's when it came on the market, they could chemically convert it into Delta-8 THC, Delta-10 THC, and other variations through a chemical process and say, oh, well, this, this came from hemp. Um, the only reason that happened was this big push for CBD isolate, which went and crashed the the value of the CBD milligram in products which started out as whole plant hemp extracts and the, the quality plant extracts have not have not like a they're not available for the significantly plummeted price in proportion compared to like what happened with isolate yeah. over the last few years you know so it's really that's um that's really disbalanced and changed people's perception of the market you know because from uh, i i came to this in 2013 but it was end of 2012 when i heard about it first comes from colorado and charlotte's web and all this and you know that was proper whole plant extracts um not from european hemp uh, you know with superior superior terpene profiles i'd imagine from the initial variety lines that were extracted then it moved to whole plant hemp from European, okay, still getting some good beta-carophylline and pinene and some other terpenes in there, not with the, some of the sweet optimised range of the other CBD varieties that are not in the European catalogue, but that was fine. And then CBD isolate and the market price, you know, just dropped significantly and that uh, completely just altered everyone's experience and perception of, um, of CBD, you know, the same as like the people who came to it through only... Um, you know, fine if you want to have CBD in your gummies, whatever, that's fine. But if you've come to it through the perception that this was like the stuff you heard about from Colorado, you know, you need a little bit, it has to be explained and that's not on the 
product or at the the high street sales outlet. So uh, that's just I feel sort of muddied the waters in the perception of sort of where the the hemp market was, where the CBD thing came. The example from the states of all the the new compounds with the synthetic conversions or whatever and getting around regulation and nobody even knows what's uh, what's the consumption of them like i mean we just wouldn't we just wouldn't be in that position if everything there as you say it's always trying to find some other what's the next it is i mean that's that's the way the folks in, uh, invest in what's the next opportunity of where's something moving moving next but i think it it ties in what, what you were saying simple or let's say you're uh um, what, what you're not digging about some of the way that's going out compared to the nice unfolding in Thailand that we've had is well worthy of a mention. And along the lines of, how I said, the, the Thai health minister was involved in changing and telling the people that the stigma is over, use this for your health, um, you know, use it in a positive way, be positive way, be smart about it, etc. But the fact that the fact that he was involved in giving that message, not, not the Thai health minister saying that, all right, now we're going to do lots of clinical trials and wait to see if it works for this condition. No, the health minister was saying, <laughs> the stigma is over, use it for your health. And considering, you know, just a couple of years before or a year before, people were still being sentenced to death and that for cannabis plants in Thailand, that's just such a, 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 such a radical change. And also inspiring for the world how, it hasn't been done through the commercial lens of, you know, this has to be sold to you by companies who are going to do all this testing and this is how it's got to go. But this deliberate way of they're introducing it into society as a plant, I believe it's like a year before larger commercialization or sales of concentrates, edibles, so let's say more involved branded products, which uh, I think it's a great, that's a great example for the world. It was quite unexpected at this time, really. Yeah. In, entirely in, in, entirely <laughs> um yeah it's i i think in terms of what they're doing the we couldn't quite get the same because the the lobbyists for big pharma and whatever else the corrupting elements within the western uh regulation reform movements are not quite gonna gonna allow the same i think yeah thailand is an anomaly entirely because again they want to give the citizens the to the right to grow their own. They want to give the people that the opportunity to cultivate a relationship with cannabis rather than just going where we can make money. What does it do? All right, quick market it, market it, market it, and just holding and hoarding all of this information. I think it, it's arguable that it is the largest clinical trial. They're giving it to the citizens and they are going to obviously watch what happens. They've got, the government has the largest data set uh, of basically anything on, on its citizens. You can monitor them through health, through crime, through insurance, through food regulation. Because again, the other part of it is you said in Thailand, the main point is it's about the plant. So first the plant, so it's turning up as a food source in a massive amount of places. It's turning up infused in various different things. It's also then going back to as a textile. They're looking at it as, as reformative uh, agricultural practices. You know, they're looking to actually reintegrate cannabis back into day-to-day -day life in Thailand, whereas predominantly, especially the UK, as I said, my sort of analogy before is that wherever the most money has come, the speculation, wherever they can make it look that, oh, this round B investment's very appetizing. Come on, lads. And they're already thinking around C and D. They're already, all they're worried about is perception of the size of the company. They don't care about the people. And to my point before, as you said, there's some wonderful people in CBD. Please, anyone's listening to this, don't get me wrong, some wonderful souls in this industry in the UK that I just want to get the twats out of the way. Just literally get them out of the way because what they will do with this plan, with a pure CBD focused mindset, 
they will have wonderful uh, R&D opportunities and they will bring to the market great opportunities for everyone. Whereas if we end up with these restrictive systems, all this research and development is going to happen in labs and in warehouses and in places we'll never get to see. And only a country like Thailand will be only one of the places where they'll pop up this information. And then the UK government will go, well, we don't accept uh, foreign data and foreign information and studies. So we'll end up back to square one with it. So, Kevin, I've seen you've been eager to get in for a, a minute there. So hit me. No, no, I, I, I've been uh, enjoying the, the the narrative being played out here. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think you're all spot on. Um, and you know, going back to what Kyle was saying in regards to the crash, I remember uh, 2018. The average price for a kilo of CBD isolate was seven and a half grand, but that could go up to 22 to 24 grand, depending on what part of the uh, grow cycle or grow season that we were in at the time. Uh, now it's less than 400 quid a kilo. Um, you, you know, so you can kind of see why there's this kind of uh, massive um, uh, push in the US to get as much as they can out of, of uh, CBD nope. uh, to the point of discovering kind of broken or, or shall we say forced decarboxylation chains. And it is curious, you know, curious, but kind of frustrating because as we look and see all of this stuff, so are the uh, other powers that be looking uh, and seeing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I used to think it was just GW right that, that that was the 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 company that was kind of holding bits and pieces down but i saw a statement from gw the other day uh sorry the other week that stated that they recognized synthetic cannabinoids as competition right and i'll tell you another thing that was in my head you know all controlled cannabinoids have got someone with a patent kind of tied into them but there's cannabinol uh cannabinol c3 uh or cbv or cannabivarin like that one doesn't seem to be owned by anyone that i can find or has a patent on it but then that's an interesting thing why is it there it doesn't even have psychoactive event uh, effects so to me that says that there's more people in this industry than just gw that have got a stake and that are mm -hmm. going to kind of be vying for that space um you know we've also got to think about the tiger report as well where it states that the uk should be pushing towards a medicinal cbd and cannabinoid industry well i don't think there's any space in the industry uh, for supplement CBD if, if medicinal CBD is the focus and certainly that that does worry me quite a lot and it is kind of certainly finding out all of these people you know what their intention is and uh, you know I hate to say work together because unfortunately there's agendas there but mm -hmm. you know if there's some way that we could come together and, and dissolve all of those barriers that, that kind of slice up the plant left right and center then you know obviously the world would be a better place yeah yeah it's obviously not going to help your vanguards your black rocks your private uh, la, 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 la. I'm probably going to name that one <laughs> la 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 um, so there's, there's certain obviously elements uh, we'll, call, we'll say Kingfisher is just another one we'll throw in there just for the crack um, yeah I might edit that out <laughs> anyway someone's gonna fucking I'll click it back and forth who's he saying who's he saying I'm saying nobody I said nothing um, anyway my point was that those boys they own between them trillions upon trillions upon trillions of investment and let's take BlackRock 
who's that? Larry Flink, uh, the guy that runs that. Fucking so that dude owns Aladdin. Aladdin is an investment uh, AI machine that controls what is it like twenty trillion or something in, in assets, in combined assets through other ventures, and that's in fuel, gas, and and like uh, fossil fuels. So that's in big tobacco, that's in alcohol, that's any industry that you've ever heard of big attached to. So agriculture, food, whatever, they own huge stakes in that. All of the data from all of those industries is fed back into this to then determine their, where they should put investment in different cycles. So that's the machine and the apparatus that is determining at what point cannabis should come on board. As we said, Thailand is an anomaly. Uh, Italy is another one where its citizens triggered a referendum for all the government kind of fucked the referendum up. The citizens fucked up the government. So they've got another opportunity with the, with the incumbents. Um, obviously, with Germany coming on board next year, there's going to be other citizen-led movements. Don't get it wrong, folks. It's not going to be the big pharma lobbyists and thinking, you know what? Your people deserve weed. Let's just, just get, change the law. Just let them have it. Let them have it. We'll, we'll figure out our profit share later. Just let them have it. That's not going to fucking happen. It's going to have to be these citizen-led initiatives. And I know we don't have the same uh, ability to trigger referendums and stuff that they do uh, in other countries or to get citizen-led uh, ballot initiatives in local regions. But we can conglomerate we can you know come together and incorporate in a way that means that we have power we have influence we have the ability to take big corporate loans we have the ability to 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 bring in investors because at the end of the day they don't care about what model goes through they just want to make money at the end when we get to the end of the fucking motorway so if we can show them that our lane's faster and that we can clear the fucking traffic they'll switch that money out they'll stop fighting to create these narrow spaces because oh a billion here a billion there the, the true nature of cannabis is it's going to reform and reshape the surface of the fucking planet. It truly is, when you look at it, is it beyond a drug in terms of as a resource, a building material. You've now got, in South Africa, is it a 10-story skyscraper that they're building down there using uh, cannabis rebar and, and concrete? You know, there's projects kicking off all over the place where people are trying to understand how to utilize this as a material. You know, I mean, just in just in infrastructure in that way, you think of graphene, but supercapacitor batteries. You've obviously got viable petroleum re replacement in oils and and uh, ethanol fuels. Um, you've uh, bioethanol fuels. You've then got fucking plastics. You know, for for polymer, for molds, for three D injections and things like that. It's there's so many other avenues. And then the food source. Going back to that, you want to talk about the food crisis that we're facing right now. Cannabis seed oil is a complete protein. It's all uh, 11 non-essential and essential amino acids. You know what I mean? It's a nearly a perfect balance of omegas three and six. It's there's a reason this thing is so powerful as, as a plant, and I think it is. Uh, this is one of the great opportunities for us to change the direction of humanity. I know it sounds a bit grandiose and whatever else, but it's if we win the plant, it doesn't almost matter what they do on the other bits because then we've always got access. We'll never give them their money. We'll never patronize their, their businesses. We won't give them their service. They'll serve to themselves in their little insular, oh, well, we know cannabis and we know what we're doing, indica sativa, la, 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 while we just go light years of fucking head. Cannabis is a resource that, in my opinion, could give us a Star Trek future. We're already looking at the fact it's graphene. You run salt, salt water over graphene, generates electricity. Then you, you, there's a battery you can get wet in salt water that generates more electricity. Why the fuck are we not looking at this? Do you know what I mean? There's so many other potential avenues of its thermodynamic properties as well for, for energy storage and, and tra tra not transitory, uh, conductivity. Do you know what I mean? There are so many other, they're just, we're so stuck with, no, CBD has to be this, this is hemp and has to only be this and this and this, and you can only have three of like, it is the ultimate fucking resource. Our history is built on it and our future depends on it at this point. And I've just gone on a bit of a tie trade there, 
But that, that's why I feel that, that we are. I'm hoping that some people in, again, that the CBD can then see this. THC is not a threat to you. This is, I've just been to the launch of another lounge in Teesside. That's three fucking clubs in Teesside right now in the northeast of England. None of them see it as competition because it's not. Where one is, others thrive. Do you know what I mean? We're blazing trails. We're breaking down the forest around us. That's a terrible analogy. I was going to say it was, it's clear to build our, our civilization. Do you know what I mean? But it's it's the many hands make light work. And I truly believe that if there was a camaraderie, if there was a, a kind of parlay between these different sectors, I mean, I, I myself, obviously, Kyle, you know this, I'm trying to back off on some of my uh, black and white thinking on terminology and, you know, be a bit more empathetic with people that are using certain language. Because they're in, the ones whose intentions are pure, you know? What is it that Jesus thing? Forgive them for they, they, they know not what they do. Do, do you know what I mean? And I think that, that unified education bringing us all back to a point, we've got an opportunity to get through. So, yeah, on that that front, um, to address, I'm not sure if I'd, I'd mentioned to you since I've seen you last, Simpa, but uh, from our previous discussions of the whole hemp cannabis terminology use and all this, because we're in the <clears throat> situation up here that, uh, some of the local farmers into their second year and things, and uh, there's all mixed, mixed, uh, mixed involvements and uh, interests and intentions and different use and all this. What's going on? But um, under the perception, let's say you know the the, the perception still there uh, there seems there seems uh, still this drive of we have to go out there and educate the public about what's different of hemp from. Was different from cannabis, completely different. And uh, actually, the only accurate terminology I can come to, and this is after spending some time on this, um, being around the scene and all different research, um, the way we use the terminology hemp is a recent political construct framework of sorts. And it's used to describe the non-narcotic use of the cannabis plant. That's the only accurate description we have of what hemp is the non-narcotic use of the cannabis plant because there isn't any other way to there isn't any other way to split it if you're going to say that oh if it's over 0.3 percent that's now like not hemp it's like well what if a hemp plant goes over 0.3 yeah. is it now not on, on you go what you're going to you yeah the only caveat i would add to that is legal because i'm just thinking you know me i'm an ass and i'm just thinking say then if i've got a, a grow on in another room and i then had all of that stalker material i can go make some some Cannabis bricks. Right. It was never hemp. It was, it was, do you know what I mean? I could make that into plastics. Do you know what I mean? Okay, sure. But the, the, it's, it actually covers all because what I had in mind with that, that um, terminology, let's say, was, you know, we look back in you know, history, other cultures, let's say, where, um, you know, where the, the UK first became aware of cannabis in this out in India, for example, where the a lot of the plants that are that are grown there, where they have you know multiple use, as you know, and they're grown for hand rubbing for medicinal and drug purpose, but they're also using the fibre of the plant for hemp purpose. So we either need to recognize it. The cannabis plant can do all the same things that hemp plant can, or the only accurate terminology is the way we describe hemp now is a recent political construct. And the other reason I add that is back in the 90s is the time where they started separating the gene pool to try and say, this is what hemp is, that it's all going to be um, CBD dominant. Now, it was typically CBD dominant in fiber, but there were 
THC dominant phenotypes came through. And back in the 90s, when they were looking at this in the EU, in Italy, one of the varieties, uh, Campana Ayeta, um, I think it's a, the name of it, I've got the analysis of it, there was a paper where did some, some phenotypes were at 2% THC, and it was a traditional fibrous variety, and it wasn't able to be considered hemp. It had been used for hundreds of years as hemp, but once the 90s came with the new terminology of what hemp was, it didn't fit the bill until it went through further breeding to then re-enter the market as hemp. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that there's a divulgence, and divergence rather than a divulgence, a divergence in language in a very close amount of time between them creating hemp and all of a sudden hemp licenses suddenly existing and the ability for people to look at this as a potential agricultural crop as the discovery of the endocannabinoid system and then the understanding that THC has already had historically recognized, patented, uh, proven applications medicinally. So then to in order to restrict that, but then get the other side, rather than just letting cannabis out there and growing... Because again, there's some wonderful studies coming out of uh, America from the air quotes hemp industry that are then showing the difference of their 1% cap, what the efficacy of the plant, the health of the plant, the volume in terms of seed production. And do you know what I mean? And then in terms of uh, return for oil and investment per acre is increasing in certain areas with certain genetics. And so obviously then if you measure it on a graph, basically the more THC you add to a plant, the more productive the plant then thus, thus becomes. Do you know what I mean? So as you said, for multiple use, that I think again, it's gone back to a company. Then they have the plant because right now we are destroying the best carbon sequestration technology on the fucking planet, or rather, we are wasting it. We are fucking entirely wasting it because then anywhere that's got a, a country that has segregated this, you either get your license for that fibrous material, like what's your hemp usage, or you get it for your drug use. But do you not think what happens to all of that hemp stuff? The, for the drug people, it goes in mulch, it goes in incinerators, it goes in bins. It's they're not legally allowed to process it because then they'd have to get a hemp license. So it's there are these again to me that seems one of the, the starting points of this divergence where then it went, yeah. All right, crap, you guys now you're CBD, so you'll get separate because then you guys can invest in like orange peel conversion through synthesis, fucking yeast and manipulation of excretion, all the rest of the other methods that they've come up with. Do you know what I mean? And then that then brokerage, right? You guys, you're now medical. Quite a lot of the lane medical, right? And then, and the same people are interlinked with all of them. It is the same people scratching each other's backs because they are waiting for their grand payday in their eyes. They're waiting for cannabis to be alcohol and they own every fucking pub. Sorry, that, that left some dead air. <laughs> yeah, I, the, I mean, there, there is the space for the different uh, frameworks, and it is a, but in, in the bigger picture, I do see it as a sort of a, Un unfolding and acceptance of sorts of the way society moves. It's not ge generally society on a whole is not up for rapid leaps and bounds in the, the Thai situation is an anomaly in the process. But, um, uh, and then all these other, yeah, um, vested interests and misconceptions and plans get involved along the way. Is it not also then, I suppose, I'm a Scottish farmer. Cannabis is a drug. It's horrible. Smell it in the cities. Bloody hippies. Dirty youth. I'm struggling financially. And bumping into you, one of these means. End up taking on a farm. Oh, I'm now growing hemp. So, it's good looking hemp that. Hemp that. It's not cannabis. That's hemp that. Can they not... And it's not to, diff, to have a go at any of them necessarily. Personally. I'm just going to put myself in that position. My mind would then go, I've done this for financial reasons. I want to keep the farm. I want to keep the kids' legacy. I want to... Do you know what I mean? 
a larger cannabis industry means more investment into a larger cannabis framework or matrix of, of systems of decortication, of distribution, of you know extraction, you know of movements of people, then lobbying governments, changing laws to be more beneficial to that. The support for me for what of cannabis helps hemp. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, you, you know what I mean. And then also, then they can move to if they wanted to. Then you get larger cultivars because then if there isn't this disparage network, then he could then grow uh, potentially a larger yielding plant. I mean, if you know that obviously a THC high rich uh, cultivar, that then if it's shocked and starts producing seeds, a lot of the THC starts breaking down at CBN because as part of to create the, the casing to to protect the seed the, the seedling. Uh, sorry, the seed as it develops. Um, but in that plant, you get far more seed yield per t- from a THC plant than you would from the CBD plant. But in the process, you also get, again, with it, with investment, potential to refine and remove other components so you can get, again, multiple use from it. Well, yeah, we haven't at all opt- optimized because of these limitations, the way it's viewed at. Exactly. You know, um, <clears throat> no, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm well aware, even on... Like, like seed production, I know like it's phenol has been grown up here, which is of a North Russian autoflower ruderalis type background, which grows well up in the north. It's been well tested as a nutritional profile. It's probably one of the most. I think it's it's had the whole genome sequence and all that's available, and the the results have always shown to be the the perfect balance of all that should be in there. The omega three six nine ratios. We've had it tested in Scotland at Aberdeen University. The same has has shown up there. But um, that, like, that's, that's a good one. But we haven't at all explored to optimize what could be for seed food, food production um, yield. I mean, companies are on it now, but the whole, you know, it's all uh, with ex- extra licensing, the extra cost and some other institution to be involved just to, to look at this. And amongst the, amongst the farmers, I say there's quite a, there's quite a nice uh, diverse mix ranging from... Um, some or some families that are looking in, or let's say looking in on the Canadian picture and thinking that's just around the corner next, and they're going to be setting up a greenhouse and look at the price of the the kilos of that. To another farmer who's like been doing it for a year and he's like, oh, I'm feeling feeling the heat being involved. The hemp, I've had the 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 police have been out for a couple of times checking because somebody's walking past and they phoned the police and just you know he's got his license and all, but just. Just the idea to interrupt him in his farming day to come out there with the police car and say, "Oh, would some people were, oh yeah, actually, yeah, you're you're on the thing here. Could we just have a little look at your look at your field because it's been reported? Just look at, oh yeah, that's fine. Have a wee chat about him. Take up an hour of his time, whatever it is, and uh, it's all good and well. But uh, you know, it's just a lot more. It's just a lot more sort of uh, around it than just getting on with it as it as it, as it could yeah. be." With the crop, so it's not being optimized at all for those for those reasons and the, mm. the restrictions on on all that with cannabinoids and things for sure. You know, actually, on the on the, the ties up with the the history of cannabinoids being in the food chain. You know, this is something that's often let's let's say known of or spoken about as a concept, like in the states, how the the wild ditch weed and things being around, and um, some of the some of the, the ditch weed and some of the American the American lines of hemp that it was over a hundred years ago where they, they hybridized Asian and European hemp and Asian hemp is more descended from as a higher ratio of THC dominant plants also as more the THCV CBDV than the European 
hemp um, uh, turns up. But there's a study from, I think it's late 80s, it's about 87 or maybe 90 latest from, uh, from northern Pakistan. And they did THC drug testing on the, the cattle that graze on the wild plants there. And because the plants are a combination of, um, you know, just a, a combination of wild indica lines, um, Asian... Asian hemp lines, which have not been segregated to remove THC dominance and things like this. And 50% of the cattle tested positive for THC. And in the community, one third of the children tested positive for THC in their urine for THC metabolites um, through, the, through the milk in the, in the food chain. Now, I don't think it's been reported any uh, any what's the documented concerns of what's going on up there but there's there's actually you know that that's that that's in the history of of cows where eating hemp hemp used to have more thc that was going through in the in the food supply it's only since the late 90s we've reframed exactly what hemp is and mm. the states have been for a long time to remove any wild plants and uh, now we stop the cattle from eating it and <laughs> it's interesting. There are a few. It's a good oh, sorry, job, God. really. Uh, sorry, mate. Yeah, it's a good job. Uh, have you heard that? I, I think it was within the last year of uh, a load of sheep in Wales come across a stash, uh, chowed down on it, and then went on a rampage in a village. Uh, <clears throat> amateurs, fucking amateurs, can't handle the weed. First time they're on it, the cause of the scene. <laughs> It's body weight. It would have been fine. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. That's it. And those cows are adapted to man. They'll have grazed in the direction of the weed. So, see, uh, I'm sure that I'm sure those sheep are causing a scene every weekend. It's only the fact that they were eating the cannabis plants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When they were drinking on the last, they don't care about it. When the lambs are on the street beside her, they don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, but, but, an interesting point then here, not to kind of crash your quite well workshopped um, uh, descriptor or sort of de yeah, descriptor of uh, what hemp is. There's obviously a movement in the UK that, the minute that is separate or at least seemingly from the fact that they have different APPGs, they have different regulatory bodies, different uh, organisations championing for their causes. Yet this hemp lane is, in the UK is currently championing for the right for a hemp license to be able to grow and extract from the flowers because currently anyone that doesn't know if you get a hemp license in the uk well first thing i'm gonna point out just to be an arse it actually says low thc cannabis license on it um but sorry <laughs> secondly i'm very childish you know it's my birthday it's in 34 you cannot fucking tell um yes yeah, so basically you did you get uh your low thc uh license and yeah there's a clause in that that says you're not allowed to extract from the uh flower heads you have to destroy the the, the flower heads basically in the leaves basically anything that produces the trichomes where obviously the cannabinoids the terpenes flavonoids and all the other wonderful minor compounds are found um so yeah they're obviously rallying to get this up to a one percent similar to match what america's doing what is a subtle movement across europe to try and do the same it seems to be the global standard they want is this one percent thc as part of the you know limit of hemp um but yeah so with these two different channels i mean they're, they're fighting and they're stuck in two different lanes but if then hemp gets through what happens there does all these cbd companies suddenly now move into this lane and they're all allowed to go oh Lord, yeah we, we will always hemp. is there a hemp extract and or is they're going to lock these other guys out? Are they in competition? 
It's we still have the still have the problem of the food products end of all, all that. We have the licensing in the field end. It's how I see the whole thing being fairly slowed down. And actually, the the the, the last update on you saying the the one percent angle, Europe went for zero point three percent, just from point two back up to point three, which mm-hmm. you know I don't know. Um, so that was that. And uh, here in the UK, through the CIC and Scottish Hemp Association, we've been pushing for one percent. Um, believe the latest update in the, some of the papers were now seeing zero point three percent in the in the UK, which uh, we just that's aligned. ridiculous. We voted for Brexit. We will not be aligning with Europe. We want our own bloody limit. <laughs> this is this is the thing. <laughs> if we've got the opportunity, um, like you know, one percent is going to be the new global standard. We've been saying that for for some time. I've been uh, <laughs> I've been pushing this uh, pushing this line, and all the evidence states that and to have some case that allow the 0.3% varieties and okay if they go over that or go hot a little bit that doesn't solve the problem of not allowing the other genetic diversity onto the scene and it greatly restricts i mean like like if you switzerland where they allow up to one percent you know if you talk to the folks who have the full range of genetics there they will tell you that yeah that just as soon as you go at 0.3 and just above 0.3, there's a whole new range of genetics available um, that consumers prefer. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't can, want you to can, see you that. Can, you, can breed into that. that. you can breed into that range a lot easier as well. This is what people forget. And without, I don't know, maybe we should touch on this, but you got someone like, uh, obviously, the ACI's recommendation for its THC level that obviously caused an incredible amount of stir of 0.03, I think it was, wasn't it? And it's just and, and a fucking absurdly low to get down. Obviously, that's product. But in even to then create from an extract from a plant to get a whole plant product to that level is just not possible. Or we, it is possible that the refinement process means you are losing the majority of the benefit of the product anyway. And the cost of it means that you, you're pricing it out of your consumer's range anyway. I think that particular example was also then put in, was it the... 0.04 up to 0.2% range into the sort of over-the-counter prescription type medication. So I know there are there are some in the industry who um who possibly see that model of novel foods being busy as it is with a novel isolate and everything, and maybe whole plant goes through, maybe it doesn't, but there's others who are keen on the idea of this whole plant up to the 0.2% as we've yeah. considered the hemp market for this to be moved to a sort of a low-grade medication over-the-counter, you know, like you get aspirin, ibuprofen, whichever, which just not, not what the industry is asking for um, either. Plus, that would be a, a strange complication for, let's say, the sort of CBD products that are in the specials department of the clinics, which, you know, many, most of them are not on the road to, you know, being going through the clinical trials to be an NHS product. They're going to remain available as specials as long as, as long as it's off label and legal in some region, it is then able to then be prescribed. It, it then exactly that it's not going to fall under the restrictions of the regulations of any of those other lanes. And so again, it's this split investment. So if we then see t- if the hemp wins, it, I'm not going to keep using the terms hemp medical whatever. I'm not going to keep fighting my own language. I'm going to talk in colloquialisms and fucking uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah. The, what we all sort of use is daily language just for a minute, so I'm not spending all my time correcting my own language. But yeah, so then if but this this hemplin wins and they suddenly get extraction in the UK, is that CBD they're extracting? Is it medicine? Does that mean that they're going to be those farmers to say it's again the, the industrial that lane of hemp? They're producing all of this hemp as far as they're concerned. 
they then sell it to XYZ. It can go to then fiber fabric, go towards uh, fuel, whatever. Um, yeah, do, do, does this mean that then in order to make that medical CBD, it has to be produced in a different, because it's all going to end up coming from the same plants in the same correct field. Well, I think the ones, to, I was just going to say, I think the ones who be pushing for it to be as a medical are not pushing for in the same breath farmers harvesting it for their fields. They'd be the ones who want to 0.2% and then they'll be pushing for some controlled greenhouse, low THC uh, production license. And actually, as you mentioned, Simp, about the license, you're exactly right, which this also reminded me of the terminology that the UK government also rec recognises that. You get a license to grow low THC cannabis plants with permission to produce from them industrial hemp which is everything except the flower and the cannabinoids and the resin, et cetera. So that's where I came up with all my terminology of even the UK government sort of frames it as such. You get a low tier, you get a cannabis license, but you can only produce the industrial hemp. But, but that, that, that kind of, sorry, I was going to say that kind of screws the farmers again then because they're not growing hemp, they're growing cannabis. Then when they've cropped it, it's hemp. <laughs> <laughs> it's no, the, the whole plant, because they're not, the seeds you're going and getting, it's over the genus plant, italized, internationally recognized in the botanical encyclopedias, cannabis sativa L. Yeah, yeah. Whatever subgenus. So then they're growing cannabis, getting cannabis seeds, put them in the ground. But the, so then, again, this is why the language is so muddy. This is why I end up getting down some avenues and shouting at people, and I don't mean to. Do you know what I mean? So I, I get and I think it should then almost remain the same. But then, like I'm saying, it's going to really muddy the waters if all of a sudden they're growing hemp and cannabis. So they take the cannabis off and there's, oh, hemp. So, but if the, well, I think, the, I think this flower why, makes it cannabis, doesn't it? I think this is why some people as well, or some in the, in the system don't want that the hemp low THC cannabis varieties to be separated in a non-licensed way. They want to keep the whole thing in a sort of controlled, you know, like, like we see it reasonable to drop the licensing for just agricultural farming purposes, you know, make it simpler in some way. But, um, I think there's a, uh, yeah, I think there's interests that uh, would like to keep the whole thing of uh, licensed under that way. And, you know, I would like to see that whole from the field and farming thing coming. And we've got the food issue, we've got the controlled content and the processing, and we've got the interests who then like to supply from the greenhouses or import from other supply chains. So all those dynamics are, are, are at play here, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's all very complicated, isn't it? <laughs> uh, okay, so... Because that, that I'm just seeing... Again, I keep going back to this analogy because it's the image in my head. Maybe it is literally how long I've spent staring at the back of fucking lorries on the motorway. So we're on the road. What if one of these lanes crashes then? What if it then completely fails right now? So if... Hemp and CBD move through in that way. They suddenly get extraction in the UK. We're allowed 1% and without muddying the language, they get hemp licenses, but they're also then selling CBD. Some of it is quality enough that it then goes towards, you know, it hits GMPs in terms of manufacturing and, and packaging and distribution, et cetera. So it can then be medical, uh, medicinal, sorry. Then you've got uh, obviously all the fibrous material and all of that sort of industry. Um, does that mean then in, in that CBD lane is only going to be the isolates, the the people that don't uh, truly don't want to be associated to cannabis, to not name any brands, but there are some brands out there that go out of their way to not be hemp or cannabis. It's CBD. It's only CBD. CBD is the only thing that's in it. It doesn't matter what CBD is or where it came from. CBD is the wonder drug. You'll, you need it. 
Do you know what I mean? Is are they going to be stuck it stuck in that lane? Or my fear, maybe my paranoia in some way, is that they'll try and co-opt and corrupt other lanes in order to make sure that their investment ultimately pays off. Oh, hold on. Have you just described novel food, sir? <laughs> Maybe it's a, 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 the car crash that doesn't need to happen. Um, but, you know, the, 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 I don't think there's as many lanes out there as, uh, as you think. Uh, of course, there is a bit of confusion. There are certainly uh, APPGs that are kind of going here and going there, but including this. And you've also got one association who's got their own lobbying arm, um, which is quite interesting. First of November, that's the ACIs. First November group, sorry. And the um, thing is, who, who gets there first? Do they get there first and then have an influence on the Tiger Report? Because, you know, it's all good, these entities having this, say, left, right and centre. Um, but, you know, it's the politician's choice. So if they do say, well, you know, medicinal CBD, medicinal cannabinoids, uh, there is going to be that kind of distinction, uh, you, you know, and that narrowing, because, I mean, as it is at, at the moment, you know, you can only have pharmaceutical grade CBD if it's grown indoors. You can't have it if it's outdoors. Uh, but then, you know, if you give the outdoor farmers uh, the chance to grow food uh, and, you know, people the chance to grow medicinal products inside, there needs to be that kind of distinction, um, a, a transparent barrier, should we say. But there, there, I don't think there is, you, you know, that certainly we, when you we look at the companies that have validated us, at the moment they 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 um kind of get me because most of them have either got medicinal kind of uh uh research going on at the moment or have got access to high spec uh labs that you know kind of give them an mhra angle um you, you know food companies aren't going to have that there is going to be a cbd uh you know medicinal sector whether we like it or not who gets there who influences it don't know but that you know separation needs to occur because at the moment i mean we, we see a validated company like i said with uh, medicinal claims and and uh, ties to the mhra um whilst any other cbd company in a food setting that is specified mm. as a supplemental company wouldn't be able to get away with that whatsoever so yeah there's a blurring of a line that needs to kind of uh come through but like i said i don't think it matters who gets there it's up to the politicians on how they implement the tiger report if that mm. is the way forward yeah interesting interesting so the other avenue and the other thing that i want to discuss then is all of a sudden we have flowers flowers are everywhere we've had a a general ramping and inclining in, upwards trajectory of fuckery uh, towards, say, tobacco. So the tobacco consumers themselves have been demonised, vilified, of, you know, being forced to have these horrible packaging. Um, yeah, still stating the truth and, yeah, arguable. Um, but if you then look at what has sort of happened within that industry and then you look at what has happened with profit share, you look at then what has happened with diversification of crops. And so now because of this limitation of tobacco, it's collapsing in traditional markets. So shout out Weed World, shout out your boys at Weed World, uh, boys and girls at Weed World. And um, there was an article in last issue, not the current issue that's just come out, talking about Zimbabwe and talking about their tobacco crop is collapsing to a point now where the investment to then grow cannabis uh, outdoor for the, for the farmers is a far better investment for the individual low-paid farmer. 
So there's more and more areas are brought on board, as you say, like this. Um, it's predominantly going to be this outdoor mass yield crop. So I see a transition coming. We're already seeing it with various, you know, hemp cigarettes and all this other shite branding, where it is these CBD flowers that are then pre-rolled or sold in, in pouches and same with that we do with, uh, with, with tobacco. Do you think, given the extremity with which the UK has gone against tobacco consumers and smoking as a concept, uh, you know, just look at the, the medicinal whole angle of, you know, it's criminalized to, to fucking smoke your medicine. Um, do you think that then if we got those flowers, that would be a market that would be allowed? Do you think there would be angles for this? Or do you think it would just be purely for extraction in, into oils, into isolates? That's a big question. I think uh, Kyle's probably the best one to answer that one. Um, well, the whole thing is, if if we were to be pushing just for this 0.3% limit, if that's what then happened and it wasn't 1%, as many of us have been uh, calling for making the case for, um, that would significantly alter the the appeal of the of the available of the available flowers in that range. And so I think actually it's worth giving a mention to again the just the the outcome of trying to find a way when there's um obstacles in place so on the on the zero the zero point two percent flower concept um of the the, the varieties that are zero point two like you really really struggle to find anything that's like a over over six percent um cbd or so typically from that European European listing that would be on a really good phenotype and then what's happened some of the flowers that come in from Switzerland not sure if you're familiar but um, basically they're going through a, a stripping down rearrangement and reassembling process to put them back together with higher CBD and terpenes and with without the THC so it's really just the, the flower material which has been stripped um reassembled and put together, sprayed back together, or however they've, they've done it. I don't know, there's various techniques as to how they could get to that point. But then you see a flower in the shop that says 15% CBD and 0.2 THC or whatever, and it's just not... It, it wasn't like that originally. There's some weird formulations being put together. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's... Uh, that, that would be if, if we if we got harvesting from the field and it was only up to the zero point three percent. I would be concerned that that market would be crippled and it would just move on to the CBD superior varieties coming from greenhouses and licensed production, which ends up in the either the new cannabis space or products and the the whole idea of farmers getting it from the field could be hampered or hindered one one way or another through those decisions and the regulations and process whether whether that's intentional or not mm -hmm. still have a wee bit concerns about that but i would love to see the farmer's market angle of hopefully um let's say if it was in the current varieties we had or was restricted in the 0.3 percent range farmer's market harvest you know uh, hemp tea things like that that would be a great upgrade than where we're at you know we're a tea drinking nation let's have a, a push for a local harvested hemp tea with some good um local flowers you know that would be cool yeah i mean with with the heat of boiling tea you do get a very slight slow carboxylization process uh so you do get the 
the the cannabinoids in availability. I'm very grateful for you bringing up this point. I've seen some atrociously labeled CBD flower across this country, and you just look at the numbers and go, what the fuck? Like, that's not how the plant works. I mean, we're starting to see there's there's a few companies, I'm not going to shout them out to not show a preference to anybody, uh, that are now in different regions in Europe. That's One of them is operating in Italy, for example, and they've basically doubled that. So they're now hitting 12 13% CBD because they're up to that 0.6. So it seems to be that there is a gaugeable uh, incremental lifting there. So yeah, if we can then get up to 1%, what's that? You're then talking closer to 20% CBD. Do, do you know what I mean? So then 1% THC, 20%, so we can get around that 20 to 1 ratio or something like that because of the anti-psychoactive uh, anti effects of CBD, uh, the way that it modulates sort of the uptake of it on receptors, et cetera, means that it's going to mitigate more of that THC level. So it's almost arbitrary going, oh, this amount of THC is scary, that it's the way it's presented in the way it's sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So what I was thinking of the Zimbabwean farmers, the way they're then producing and dry their crops and whatever, it's very low tech. Do you know what I mean? So then if they're the movement of cannabis in this space doing a similar sort of thing, what I was thinking is effectively you end up with shake cigarettes. So they just see them over giant things sieving off the cannabinoids effectively. And then just I just saw in my head this industry of these cigarettes and then they add back in the, the measure the shake sort of thing or the, you know, even isolates because, yeah, what we're seeing from, pardon, it's not just Switzerland, it's a lot of different markets. It is purely straight off the, the the field, what is supposed to go in the bin, be destroyed as per licensing in various regions. Um, is It's then, uh, yeah, being sprayed with whatever we're seeing, even just food grade terps and whatever else, that in terms of volatilization, when you burn these, uh, vaporize them, the, pff, we don't know the consequences of these things. There's a lot of stuff that they're, they're adding into this, as you said before, about like uh, HHC, THCP, all these other novel cannabinoids that we're now discovering as a consequence to, or as a result of them trying to circumnavigate the rules and legislation as it stands today. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd like to see what you're saying, that, that hemp stays as hemp. But my problem then is that once, if we get to this flower point, it's again then going to muddy the waters and we're then going to come back to this convergence point where we may as well have just been cannabis the whole way through. Do you know what I mean? I think that the rising tide lifts all boats. And so that if we can somehow manage to work together in a way that ensures the best interests of all parties, because as I said before at the minute, it's only because they got started decades ago. They got started with the whole Royal Commission GWCon without going too much into that. And that's when this really started. People go, okay, okay, here, there, and everywhere. And this is just like phase four, phase five for them in their little Marvel universe of investment. Whereas if we can prove that there's a rival, not quite a DCU, but you know a, a better alternative sort of uh, there to, to rival it, we can bring that investment over because again they just want the money at the end of the road, and I think that the more people can realise that in the CBD sector, the hemp sector, the medicinal industry, whatever part of it you are, if you are cannabis, I think we need to come back to cannabis to 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 get those next steps. Otherwise, it's it just seems to be getting slower and harder to gain this ground any any further in in any in any lane, you know. Yeah, uh, do you know what? Cannabis. Uh, sorry, canvas. Cultural cannabis. So I've just got it back. Why isn't it called hemp fist fast or whatnot? In interesting. I mean, cannabis is actually the more prevalent term. So people like to go, oh, well, hemp was the word. But actually, if you look through Germanic, if you look through, I think even Saxon as well, actually, it goes through and a lot of the Nordic roots, it's versions of. Uh, cannabis 
and all the way through Greece and whatever, it's it's versions of cannabis, not hemp. But then there are obviously a lot of versions in the later developments in Europe that then had the versions of hemp that again through Germanic and whatever. So there were roots of both of the of the terms, but they were, they were so interchangeable. It was the same thing. Do you know what I mean? And give then, me, give me. On you go, simpler, sorry. No, so I, I was, yeah, so, so they were so interchangeable that until again there was a need to then break these down. I mean, there's still, we can't go and prove it, but if you look at then the, the hemp that was then growing in the UK, that will have not been restricted to zero two. It wouldn't have been a Henry VIII going there. No, nah, that's cannabis, get rid of it. Do you know, there was none of those things. So there have been all the wonderful, beautiful varieties. And anyone that's ever grown, you know, a multitude of seeds from one variety will get to see the various uh, phenotypes and, and chemo bars that come from that. That then leaving that in the wild environment, allowing it to naturalize and actualize to its environment, we get all sorts of diversity. So again, that for all there was human preference and intervention, there still will have been all of these other things. So it's, yeah, it's a very sort of muddy history when when you look at it. And it seems to come down to basically, you brought up Indian hemp before, ironically. Indian hemp was kind of the, the colloquial term for the for cannabis as a drug. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's well, impre- yeah, I was going to say that on the, on the whole um, terminology thing. So I've done quite a bit of research on the um, 1840s, 50s, when we all got back to it, back into it in the, the UK, um, thanks to the reports coming out of India at the time. And Scotland was actually the site of one of the first, what's known as a common garden experiment to compare European hemp with what they called Indian hemp. But it would be, let's say, you know, uh, ganja, narrow leaf drug uh, type varieties as opposed to Asian hemp. They didn't have all this uh, separation of understanding the lines at the time. But Edinburgh at the Royal Botanic Gardens, it was around 18, it was uh, 1849 it was, um, they planted seeds that they got from the Bombay Bazaar um, and they also planted European hemp along next to it. They came to the they came to the conclusion that uh, it was the same plant and the same species. I think there was a slight misunderstanding that the that so the the Indian the Indian hemp is what they call call Indian hemp. The Indian cannabis variety didn't complete flowering in Scotland or in the greenhouse. Once it got to October, it wasn't it wasn't uh, too thrilled with the weather. It wasn't developing further, and it said that flowering seemed to stop, and it was just right at the early. And also, they noted that it didn't have the same so strong smell as it gave off as when it was in its native place in India. But the European hemp was sort of finishing up and doing its things uh, on course. But they sort of came to the conclusion it was uh, the same plant. It just didn't it didn't uh, get to complete its flowering here. There may have been the misunderstanding that the European one of put in India might then like produce some of the other compounds we're used to seeing there. But th- th- that was a uh, that was that was done at the time and yeah so in, Indian hemp was was the terminology used for just everything coming from India of cannabis you know they used that for blocks of charis that were being sent to Edinburgh for medical experimentation that was from Indian hemp as it was known and as I mentioned earlier in this chat here that it's documented that it was being grown for multiple use, you know, the charis for drug and medicinal purpose, but also being used for fiber and the seeds being used for food purpose as well, multi-cropping, you know, so yeah. it's I mean, only 
this recent times, we've got this uh, different framing. And actually, you were saying about the THC levels of it, of what we've domesticated of European hemp lines in recent times, some places where it's escaped in Eastern Europe or where it's now been 20, 30 years starting to breed. The THC has escaped, yeah. The THC level starts to increase naturally when it's been let back out into the wild, when it's been pressed down. It's also worth a mention then on that lines of the the cannabis interest, cannabis interest in the the plant development that there were there have been some very rare specimens found in nature of what they call cannabinoid knockout plants. They're known as type five plants, where the plants only really produce in terpenes, which has got some interest in food use as well. Should they uh, pin down some specifics, but that's some rare um um you know. Uh, What's the word? Um, morph- morphological change. It's got a mutation of sorts. It's just um, come up. But generally, they, there's never been plants found in the wild that have no THC or populations that have no THC. But there were populations found with no CBD. And that was in South Africa coming up 50 years ago. Next year it was... And when they found these populations that had no detectable CBD, it actually completely changed the, the, the understanding of how the plant was producing cannabinoids. At the time, they used to think that, that um, CBG developed into CBD and then into THC. We now know that CBG goes into either THC or CBG lines, uh, THC or CBD lines from CBG. But until... Until the plants were found with no CBD content, um, they had thought it went through CBD into THC for some reason, based on what they'd been analysing at the time. Um, well, the, the discovery of CBD completely changed that, and then they looked into it and then found out actually it was uh, producing cannabinoids by a different mechanism they thought, and that changed the science at the time. So, interesting, real interesting. I mean, obviously, a lot of theory, a lot of uh, speculation, but the general sort of consensus seems to be the THC uh, works predominantly. It's, it's like UV protection. So where we sort of map out areas around the globe and look at its land races, we can pretty accurately detect, kind of, uh, sort of estimate what its profile will look like. Yeah, we can't sort of guess on, on, on terpenes, and we're slowly starting to understand more about like co-crystallization and the synergy of, how these compounds develop together because we've forever studied them in isolate and separate separation but the entourage effect which again is gaining more and more uh, acceptability within modern science it, it, it seems to work with this synergy you can't rebuild this you can increase the individual benefit of each compound by adding them together but you're still only re- rebuilding something so i think that yeah we're still we're waiting on that next discovery you know yeah. into that to, to then well, that ties back to actually, as you're saying about the the tea and things. The tea only gets a it only gets a slight decarboxylation. Uh, it gets actually CBD resists decarboxylation more than THC does. Some of the THC perhaps decarboxylates easier with boiling water than the than the CBD does. But the flavonoids to get them straight from the plant, which is also my other objection to the way um, formulations get stripped down to isolated compounds, even if they're reassembled with terpenes. Flavonoids, you know, we have the specific ones to the cannabis plant, it's in, in all the hemp varieties, can flavin A and B. And that's that's known to have a lot of uh, beneficial properties. It's only in recent times we're starting to understand now 
the synergy between flavonoids and cannabinoids. Like, you know, this is, we know flavonoids have beneficial nutritional intake for us, you know, as a certain nutritional compound, but there are specific ones which have a probable, they appear to have a modulatory effect on CD1 signaling as well. So they have a, an entourage which is not well understood. You can get your flavonoids if we're getting access to tea, but if we're always doing these highly refined processed isolated compounds, losing all those benefits. And that's something that I'm very passionate about keeping in the in the supply chain as well, you know. But again, it's in my mind, we need people that are interested in protecting all of cannabis. So there are people that are in pharmaceutical industry that are in CBD or whatever that are only interested in CBD and proliferal things like very close proximity things. Do you know what I mean? They're not interested in understanding the entirety of the plant. It's very frustratingly globally. I think actually maybe Thailand, given what they're looking to do, are probably behind closed doors studying the whole fucking thing because that's what we need. You know, there are certain uh, compounds found in the roots, for example. You know, there are obviously industrial applications of the roots that I'm not going to name for demonetization and shadow banning purposes on, on YouTube. Um, there are a multitude of things that we can, we can do with this goddamn thing that, again, just need... Consensus, consensus. It well, as, as has already been pointed out, the Scottish are obviously using it for suntan lotion. <laughs> you, you, you still getting that cherry sent up? Are you, Kyle? Sorry, Scotland. <laughs> it was described as a, but a block was sent in 1850 to Dr. Christensen in Edinburgh, who wrote his uh, dissertation at the Edinburgh University on cannabis indica at the time. And it was described as a block was sent from Yarkhan, Tibet, the size of two fists for experimentation. So there you go. <laughs> that, that's a couple of week, weeks worth of the kids out in the field getting, getting the rub on. Oh. Yeah, that's what's, what we're missing again now. Is like it's the intersectionality in the study of, of, of the history of cannabis is going to give us far more of an inclination of what this thing can do than just fucking studying its genome and applying single applications to single you know, therapies. Any other, the other, it's just as always. I mean, it's just all these things when you bring them up are so obvious and we're restricting getting on the finding this out. But the um, the, the other latest discoveries in hemp and to be used in the flower is that they found that just a simple extraction of the flowers being used as a crop pesticide, as a natural pesticide on other crops is working wonders. They're like, wow, imagine that, you know, if you could get on and just extract the flowers that are currently being ploughed into the ground for no reason, while the farmers then struggle with mutant weeds coming up because of all the other things that have been put in the ground for the last few decades, whatever they've been up to, you know, so... Wouldn't yeah, that man. just depend on the way you do your application? Because I thought they get a little bit narky if you show that you're trying to create a medicine or a food. If you kind of point out that the uh, flower had uh, uh, an industrial application end juice, maybe they might be a little bit nicer. Especially Hold on, this is the home office, isn't it? Step back. That is definitely an avenue to push, I would say, because, yeah, we're obviously we're teetering at the minute with conversations because... Unfortunately, a negative consequence of Brexit means that we fall out of certain regulations. Some of them are obviously related to big ag, uh, big agriculture, um, and some of them are to do with the banned pesticides and certain products that they are considering bringing back to the UK that we know are beyond detrimental to especially bee populations. There was a study in 2016, 18, one of them. There's a one in there, I don't know, whatever year it was, recently. Uh, and they basically found, I think it was 23 different sub-bee populations that were benefiting from the late pollen access to the flowering cannabis in the hemp fields. 
So again, we twofold there. Save the fucking bees. You get rid of the pesticides that kill the fuckers. You're allowing the, the the plants to be there to encourage them, and then you get to use the the end part of the plant to encourage more of them. It's it's a win win. Again, it's like why we need to get out of this mentality. It can, it's a drug. It's a food. It's a it's a fucking plant. If we get back to the plant, then we can actually start to. If the government looked at cannabis as a plant, went all right. Uh, you, the drug side, we'll deal with in a minute. This and started to just study the plant itself. They'd come to the conclusion that most of us that have been around this plant most of our lives come to anyway. It is the the single most beneficial fucking species that we have. Humanity has grown in it with a synergy, with a symbiosis with this species for millennia, and its absence. Look at what it's led to. Yeah, we've got all our fancy technology and all this shit, the plastics and petroleum and all the other stuff has provided. But look at the health of the population, the health of the planet, the ecology, the environment. Things are fucked. And again, if we restrict this to go, you're going to make a drug, it's got to be in a greenhouse and it's going to take this much amount of security and energy and input. And it's like, they've got it right. These guys in India back in the day, you went, oh, you need medicine. You need clothes. You need a bite of fucking fuel to, to burn. Oh, you need to build a house. You need. It's one fucking plant. You grow the one plant, you take the bits each of you need, and then you just put back in again and go again. So it's it's interesting. So I suppose there's, uh, there's there's three points. I'm aware of time here, but there's three things I want to quickly cover. I know they're not going to be quick. One is then potential for indie ref to in Scotland. Obviously yourself, you are kicking fucking ass in Scotland. You've gone from zero farms to what you want currently. The six farmers you got. Oh no, it's, there's more ten, well, sort of ten around the northeast here, but more of the ten, more than yeah, now it's a good handful more. So clearly, obviously Nicholas Sturge and the SNP have always been quite. There's a fucking issue we want to solve it, even though they've had power and could have solved some of these fucking problems. They're obviously tied up with certain uh, elements of devolved power from Westminster and caught up with, you know, home offices, uh, cartel, which is something I want to get on next with yourself, uh, Kevin. Um, so if there then is this Indy Ref too, do you think, I mean, if Scotland rejoins the European Union, obviously they're going to get a, a, to IA and all of their hemp rules and regulations and everything else and the fallout of Little Britain and theirs. Um, but they also then have this opportunity for a decriminalized market, a regulated market. Sure. And even within the even within the hemp situation, we'd have opportunity to to do things. Is within the EU, like uh, the Czech Republic is they're they're allowing up to I think they're allowing up to one percent plants to be grown, but then there's some but you know, maybe not those varieties that have been accepted you know, in the food chain compared to the authorized varieties, etc. But there was some possibly some other variations there. So I would just say, well, if we had that opportunity, um uh, we'd be able to, to have those have those discussions and take them a bit further than as it currently is, it then gets restricted and that's out of our hands and it's tied down to the Westminster developments as I've been trying to trying to get involved in and positively influence. But um, here in Scotland, there's definitely the opportunity to, to have some progress and will. And I think we're of the size we'd, uh, yeah, mm. hopefully hopefully make a few changes. Uh, definitely, I mean, with the the, the hard drug problems around, um, you know, like uh, Dundee, where I saw, saw you recently, simply, you know, it's, it's, it's up there in the European, Chart, the charts of European cities, you know, for both, you know, rates of drug death, high rates of hard drug use, high rates of poly drug use, you know, just across the board consistently. So on a on a urgent uh, reform and harm reduction way, and from multiple angles, I think there is the will in Scotland for some 
progress and change if we could do that. Yeah, de definitely. And I mean, there's validity to this. Obviously, there's a recent study that came out looking at, I think it was alcohol uh, addiction, uh, looking at alcoholism, and they found not necessarily a substantial, but enough to warrant further investigation um, around just C using CBD uh, to help deal with challenging uh, sort of problematic behavior. Obviously, we know in terms of cannabinoids uh, effects on sort of neuroplasticity, neurogenesis in the brain, and allows people to effectively think different thoughts, get out of those ingrained patterns and behavioral cycles. So I think, yeah, there's, there's merit to that kind of argument and that could come quite well from your, your, uh, your uh, industrial hemp farmers. But I think, or rather, do you think that Nicola Sturgeon would consider putting it as part of the pledge? Because, I mean, it could it could be a hell of a vote winner. They could make some serious bank. I mean, obviously, I've covered quite a lot of Scotland recently on my road trip. And you want to talk about the potential for flipping warehousing into indoor uh, grow facilities. I mean, everyone's talking about uh, greenhouses and whatever else. They're, it's effectively a euphemism. A lot of the facilities that people use are look like industrial things in the heart of places you would not expect them to be. Mm -hmm. So do you think she would ever be so brave enough or do you think there's a, a means to, you know, nudge her towards? Um, I don't know if we'll be so bold as the specifics in the in the pledge, let's say, but uh, there should, should there be some movement, I think there'd be a, there'd be a way to, mm. to get some momentum and get that going with some of the f folks in the MPs and MSPs that are on the on the scene who would be for it. So might not be so bold as going in the pledge there, but uh, given the opportunity, we'll see. I mean, even hopefully just on the, the medicinal side of things, obviously we've got we Karen Gray on recently telling us all about the, again, updating us on the same back and forth that Scotland are having with England over devolved power and regulation of uh, off-licensed medications and et cetera. And it's just, it's, it's causing such a fucking nightmare. And I think even a commitment to something like that <clears throat> which I mean would automatically come anyway because Scotland would then have to create its own health service, et cetera. So then there would be a point to 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 put it as part of the package anyway. But yeah, I just I would love to see, maybe even just as a social experiment, what would happen if Scotland truly had devolved power, if it wasn't tied up with Westminster, if it was able to really make its own decisions, especially around uh drug policy. And I suppose that segues in quite nice because I suppose my, my, my question for yourself there or the catch up for the section uh, with yourself here, Kevin. Um, the Home Office, they are one of, if not the biggest impediment to any progress in basically any sector or lane that we've discussed thus far. Um, you have been doing some amazing work recently to kind of call out and identify certain uh, problematic relationships between certain industry individuals or rather uh, entities within the industry and sort of uh, the home office. So could you maybe uh, fill in the listeners and I suppose myself as well in wow. what, what you've been up to with this? Well, at the moment, I, I've got to be honest, when it comes to the uh, the home office, they, they do seem to have taken a backseat, certainly uh, um, uh, validated companies with higher uh, THC level products uh, is proof of that, where the home office was supposed to be holding the, uh, the FSA's hand in regards to all things uh, controlled cannabinoidy. So where they've gone... I don't know. I think they're kind of holding back. There's been a few conversations going on, but in a wider sense of what I've been doing, certainly uh, I've been chasing up 
novel foods because I don't I don't think that the FSA are really uh, the the bad guys in this. I mean, I don't choose the wrong words here, um, but I do believe that they're being led. You know who they're being led by. Uh, we can guess who who are they being led by. Well, we can guess there. Um, but equally, we're just kind of tra- trapped in this situation now, I think, of, of kind of understanding um, that, well, I, th- I think they've overstretched themselves with every single movement that's going on at, at, at the moment in regards to cannabis. Um, you know, you've got to ask how many workers have they got going on and how many workers are focusing specifically on cannabis? Because if they did have someone keeping an eye on novel foods, then you wouldn't have two companies that are selling drugs, uh, well, of, of, of drugs validated as per UK law, as opposed to foods. So uh, they, they, they are a little bit kind of out of the question. But uh, certainly when it comes to the FSA, um, I have uh, officially launched a whistleblowing complaint because they uh, they just don't like answering questions. And to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't be surprised if the Home Office just said, don't ask questions, is your narrative, off you go. Um, now, I don't expect that they're going to reply to my uh, whistleblowing uh, 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 complaint, but I have forwarded it that that complaint to the Scottish uh, Food Standards um, Association, who they seem a little bit more critical or at least questioning of novel foods. So uh, there's going to be some, hopefully, some interest in interactions there because, I mean, ultimately, if, if the Scottish Food Standards Agency don't kind of uh, raise an interest in potential food crimes or someone saying that there's food crimes and the FSA don't either, then we're basically living in an extremely corrupt country where, um, you know, they, they're quite happy to just say, this is your food, that's it, get on with it and shut the fuck up. Mm. So uh, basically, yeah, it's all about charging that down, mate. Um, you know, I could say uh, that uh, I've been looking into uh, their, uh, you know, their henchmen in the industry, and by theirs, I mean the home offices and GWs, uh, the ACI, you know, they they've done their damage they've done their bit they're just kind of coasting at the moment from what i'm seeing waiting for uh, uh evidence to come in to back up all the the applications that have come through them uh but beyond that i, th- I think it's kind of quiet because all the focus is on the fsa you, you know i i wouldn't be surprised if if the vmd have had no contact about pet products i'd be surprised if the the, the mhra haven't noticed a drop in people talking to them about vape products on on, on the market it is purely that focus uh, and that focus is which we're being trapped in but i think people need to realize that there is you know, it's easy to read certainly what I put out and go, whoa, he don't like the FSA. Uh, and, and, you know, certainly I don't like writing shouty articles. Uh, but equally, um, you know, you've got to respect the fact that some of these people are doing jobs. They're being directed uh, and who is directing them. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to give you a few more updates on that at some point. Excellent. Excellent. I do look forward to it. I really do. Um it's great that someone like yourself has really taken up this charge because, as you say, it's so much open corruption, but it's being done by people that are give, exactly, they're told they're informed. They think they're informed. They think they know what this is. Oh, it's, this is cannabis, that's THC, that's CBD, 
I don't know, what's anything else? It's irrelevant. Has it got that in? No, then it's fine. Has it this, then no. It's It's been oversimplified to be able to create this kind of obfuscation of responsibility and acknowledgement of what the fuck the industry actually does as a whole. The left hand doesn't know what the right's doing. Everybody's getting paid along the way and they're all happy doing their own little thing. And obviously that's been, as you say, constructed. That has been deliberately workshopped to operate in that way for the benefit of whom we can speculate for legal reasons. Probably shouldn't identify well. anybody, but... <laughs> well, I, I, I was going to say something about Jacob Rees-Mogg. Apparently there's a story of him uh, being rather jovial with a, a, a contact of mine uh, talking about one of his colleagues getting busy with 4.30 like um, whatever that is, um, but uh, you know, then then we do kind of look at the uh, uh, the you can't have controlled cannabinoids. Oh, we're still talking about skunk, even though it's hardly even available out there. Uh, and you know, if it isn't literally the left hand to the right hand, as you kind of put it, it's also kind of about stupefying the people into just believing that that is cannabis. That's how it's going to be, and you need to get over it. Yeah, it's a war of nutrition at this point, and we just have to keep keep our heads above water. You know, I mean, the life wraps will come eventually. That we'll get that that point to get out. But at the minute, it's it's it, it's a war on drugs, and as part of the war on drugs, we're involved in that. We're in the front lines. Whether you own a CBD shop and you sell vapes and isolate and whatever, in some way, you are in that battle. You have a vested interest in the outcome of this war, and no matter how complacent how comfortable life has made you within this industry how untouchable and safe you feel you are one act one legislative change away from being who we are as we myself and the community i represent the criminalized consumers the population that built this fucking industry before any of you kids got out of fucking college do you know what i mean the, the the decades of activists that i take on the mantle to represent in in this in this guise right now you know they are the ones that deserve and need this this acknowledgement. And again, to loop all the way back to my underlying point of this, it's fighting for cannabis because they're going to go and have their and continue their efforts within the war. Because again, to them, it's it's a game and in a lot of sense of the investors, it's it's gambling. Well, I'll put some money in weed. Let's see what happens in a few years, and they'll check back in and buy this lobbyist and invest in that you know event or do this that they they're told by their marketeers or the people that they need to put the money into. But they haven't got a fuck about what's actually happening every day. The children who are seizing and dying, the old people who are dying from like Alzheimer's and shit, the stuff that we're starting to understand is potentially not just treatable, but entirely preventable with certain uh, profiles of, of, of cannabis products. Do you know what I mean? The, the evidence is overwhelming in, in all quarters. The, the plant is powerful. But then they go, no, no, we need, we need to prove this and this and this. We need these, these, these regulations, these restrictions. And I feel that to go back to kind of the language of, I guess, uh, to not co-opt it, but the language of the uh, civil rights movement in America is we have to be careful to not use the language of our oppressor, to not get caught in their games, to not end up, you know, in their trip. We don't want to be stuck. As you said, the focus is driven on the FSA at the minute and everyone is going, well, that's the thing. And it's, it's no, everything else is still there. It's just they're looking that way. So while they're distracted, stuck here and it's going to take 18 months or a year or whatever, what can we do in 18 months or a year, collectively? You, you, had it, you had it right, mate. You started with war on drugs, and then you kind of brought it through to war on cannabis. I mean, you can see it now. Every single Facebook page for any police force, you scroll down, you'll just see bust, 
cannabis, cannabis, cannabis. Oh, there was a class A there, but it's never mentioned. You know, you know I just had a, a, a little scan through the drugs update from Plymouth Live, uh, who were kind of offering some kind of crazy rebuttal from the complaints that they had as a result of uh, promoting Alison Hernandez Woods of saying that cannabis should be labelled as, you know, up there with heroin and, uh, uh, you know, smack. Uh, you know, they created this kind of whole like oh yeah cannabis is moving around the world but reefer madness and then they talk about other drugs even though it's supposedly about drugs but it's all about cannabis you know you see amphetamine you see coke and yet you see four pictures of cannabis and you see one picture of what looks like ecstasy and one picture that looks like white powder there's no representation there's no fair representation between them all that that war Drugs, war on drugs, I think, is just a, a, a cover story for, for it, in all honesty. Well, social control, I think, is the simplest way I've always boiled it down to. It's how best to control a populace. I mean, it's most, it's, it's entirely embodied, actually, in, uh, can't pull the guy's name out of my ass, uh, but the, he was Nixon's advisor, one of Nixon's advisors. And he basically stated about the war on drugs being designed to target hippie and black communities and anti-war communities and by associating them with heroin and crack and with uh with with cannabis that they, they were able to vilify them demonize them break up their meetings you know publicly chastise them before their you know political or social uh, revolutions that had an opportunity to to gain to gain any traction and so it's I feel that's where we are now is that People who are anti-authoritarian, people who are anti-the system, people who are a bit alternative, a bit weird, the, the the people that don't fit in, we typically will self-medicate with drugs. We will find our way to drug culture, to the, the rave scenes, or to free parties, or to you know house parties, and you know getting invited to some do after a. There's, there's exposure everywhere. Basically, what I'm saying, and that we find in that familiarity, we find in that ourselves and a sense of comfortability and a sense of identity. And that is powerful because the, the, we, I myself, I sit here, even in this, the environment in the area that I live, you know, I'm disconnected from these people. They're disconnected from me because I use drugs and they use drugs, but we can't say to each other, we use drugs. You can't bond over that. Do you know what I mean? Because you have to keep each other safe in terms of your environment, what you do. So it, it keeps us from having those relationships in our immediate space from all of a sudden, everyone in the street smokes weed. Are we on the street then? If the cops come at the end, we, we bombard them. We stop them coming in. They're going to try and raid. Now it doesn't happen. Immigration, now it's not happening. Like it's in terms of immigration officers trying to come and remove people. Sorry, that was very simplified in my brain there. Um, but you know what I mean? The, you can control an area and then you have political will. You then have your own economy. You can have liquidity where you look after each other. Oh, you can't afford a gas bill. Here's some money. You need food. Oh, Sharon's making some. Come around later. We have community. We have power. We have an ability to stand against this neoliberalistic capitalist system that we currently live under. On this arguably late stage capitalism because it's it's devouring itself so again what are we doing in these times we're going back to drugs what is the main predominant drug we're going to cannabis and again the relationships that people are forming and finding i've been at loads of events in the uk and watching the delight the wonder on these fucking 18 19 20 year old kids on their first event being like right yeah that's brocket hold on a second no worries come on Oh, bless him. My apologies. Uh, no, he's no. quiet on the logo, but not in real life. <laughs> bless him. He's just protecting you from somebody, somebody you can't see, I'm sure. Um, I've lost my train of thought there. 
Where's it going? <laughs> what was I say? Somebody remind me. Go to their first events. Uh, oh, yeah, going to the first events and seeing this this join. Like, I didn't know there was anything like this in the UK. I didn't know that this was happening. Do you know what I mean? The the excitement within them, and I see you see more and more in the UK of this this new wave of people that are bypassing what a lot of my generation went through, which was quite chronic alcoholism, then discovering other drugs, and then going, wait, we can do drugs without drinking? Holy shit, let's do that. Do you know what I mean? Because that's that was the culture that a lot of my, my people grew up in. You know, you, either it was, to, you know, a bit of Dutch courage to know I out of that pill or whatever, or it was just, it got to that time of night and everyone went, oh, we're switching it up, or it just, you had the opportunity to go to parties or whatever. It's, that was the, the second wave of the rave culture that I grew up in. You know, it was... That was what you did every weekend. Do you know what I mean? And so that again, that created that tribe, that family, that that familiarity that is dangerous to this system. It is antithetical to everything they have spent decades, if not arguably centuries, building as part of this society, air quotes in the largest sense that we live in. You know what I mean? So the, the way we fight this, in my opinion, as I said, is we win first by cannabis. And anyone that just wanted cannabis, that's cool for you. You've got it now. But there are people that are in the same position you are with other drug cultures in other areas. And that was the same message I want to put to your hemp farmers, to the CBD industry, to anybody that's involved in this at all. If you have any sincerity, any genuine nature, please question why you have a, a drug superiority complex, why cannabis is fine, but heroin is bad. I know that's a controversial point. I've oversimplified it. But my point being that it's still a criminalized culture from a naturally occurring substance that historically had very little problems until capitalism got involved. You know, in, in China and what a strong history of, of consumption of opium wasn't really a problem until we started taxing it, until we started controlling it and regulating it and then criminalizing it and then selling it back to them. Naturally, people self-regulate. Look at a pub. Dave's had too much. Mike cuts him off at the bar. You know, John the doorman hails down a fucking taxi. You know, his mate makes sure he gets a kebab on the way home. That, that cultural... That's what's missing from our drug culture. But people regulate and, and create that anyway. You see a bunch of dirty smackheads hiding in the corner somewhere. No, that's a community of people trying to protect each other, trying to look out for each other. In the same way, you and your mates in a cannabis club, they're like, oh, we're getting away with the police. The police are not around. Way. Same fucking thing, man. Same fucking thing. And actually, that ignorant attitude is what is holding us back because we can't win cannabis unless we win the war on drugs. This is what I'm saying about these different lanes is... The motorway of cannabis, we can get off the junction and go and end the war on drugs and we bypass all that traffic, baby. You're talking 60 on that back lane, that B road. There ain't going to be nothing on there. That That's my underlying point of, of, I guess, this is that CBD, cannabis, all of this is still relates down to the criminalized actions of, in the most case, naturally occurring products. Do you know what I mean? If we could have opium, just naturally just smokable opium, do you know what that would deal with? A lot of the opioid crisis, because you wouldn't have these, these incredibly powerful things that are incapable of, of overdose in a, in a moment. Do you know what I mean? You've got a slow build with opium. And again, we've, it was regulated the same as we've seen models in your Ultrich, I pronounced that terribly, sorry, my Dutch fans, uh, of the MDMA shop that opened up the other week. They're not selling MDMA, but they're showing the model of how they would. Do you know what I mean? Transform made one for cocaine, for example, as well. There are these models that are arriving around the world and to kind of close back in from this whole giant narrative I've been on here, um, I think CBD can learn something from the rest of the world, but we now being outside of Europe have an opportunity to do something like Thailand, 
we could we could literally do something far fucking better. And it, it, to me, if we win the plant, we have it all. That's what I think Thailand did. There's still restrictions and there's still whatever, but I think the Thailand's principal idea is if the people have a relationship with cannabis, guess what they're going to go and spend their money on? <laughs> do you know what I mean? And if they, you regulate the market and you own it and, and you are the, the, the tax man, that's revenue in your pockets. If the consequence of this is your population smoking less cigarettes, drinking less alcohol, taking less uh, stimulant drugs, less depressant drugs, less SRIs, it's limitless in terms of the, the, the potential benefit. It's exponential. And that's my rant over. Uh, there's one more point, if, actually counterpoints. <laughs> Sorry, and there's one more thing, Kyle. This is CHS. I'm thing I wanted to cover with yourself, and then I'll let you go if we've got time. Got time? Grand, yeah, yeah. What, 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 um, what's the question, Simba? <laughs> uh, thank you uh, for, for taking the time. I suppose the the yourself, you were involved in uh, a study of long COVID and uh, CBD, and I was wondering. Uh, Per a piece that I found the other day about CHS, which is cannabis hypermesis syndrome, the prevalence of which, in my opinion, correlates with the rise of a legalized marketplace. Obviously, this study that you went in, you were involved in, looked at certain genes. Um, so, can you help either convince me that it's not a consequence of, I guess, pesticides and bad farming practices at, at legal facilities, or is it something? more am i being a bit obtuse here um so there's a i'll just clarify two two different wee points there on the the the, the long the long covid study and um, one thing actually is worth mentioning in the, just the bigger context of what's going on probably the last time i was on your show i was telling you how i was very optimistic and excited to hear that there was a long covid study and um, being done clinical trial in the uk and my previous case study of my situation post-viral fatigue had been largely influential in the doctor um, submitting to do this. But I just found out like last week that they still hadn't got 30 people on board to do the long COVID trial in the UK because the doctors not been putting patients forward. They had like 16 out of 30 or so together, only just over halfway there. And that's just, um, yeah, I have no idea. You know, the, the doctors are the ones saying we need more evidence and they're the ones not putting forward patients who could be on the trial. And I know that any other trial that's going on with a big famous drug company that immediately got people signed up. And this happened previously, um, some of GW's trials with CBD isolate and that they had trouble um, getting the folks being put forward. So that was the, we, the, the mention of the long COVID trial. Now the, the CHS one, the cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Um, yeah, so there's the, the recent update from Ethan Russo has a paper on looking for genetic correlations. And yeah, I was, I was involved in that study. Um, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head how things came about actually, where that came up, but I, I came in contact with, um, with what was going on there and uh, had the opportunity to to fill out details and things and be involved. And um, so I participated in that study. Now, uh, there was some reports online of it recently of, uh, I'd say there's a lot of noise around it from different angles of some complaints about what the intentions or who's funding it, or how it's been used or how it's been misrepresented, misinterpreted. There's all that, there, there's that, we can cover that. But on the, 
cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Um, it's something I'd looked into previously um, and just, just to run through some of the origins of how we came to be here, you know, it was 2004 was the first, the first mentioned um, case, case reports for study. It was from Australia and there was, they started with 19 subjects and it was down to nine remaining subjects um, in this group. And they came to the conclusion that their chronic cannabis use was responsible for cyclical cyclical vomiting that was brought on. But when you look through the period from 2004 up to 2010, as to what, what was the evidence of what it's all based on. So this the first study in Australia, 2004, with nine patients. The next year, there's a report of one in the UK documented. There's another paper next year in the US based on one patient. The next year, 2007, Australia based on one patient. Um, the next year, 2008, in the US, based on eight patients, another paper in Australia on one patient, one from New Zealand, another paper on one patient, another paper on one patient, and then there's ones on three patients, two patients, two patients, eight and four. And that covers the whole introduction of the concept. And they've been referenced now by like hundreds of, hundreds of other studies. So when you look into how it came to be, um, I don't know. It's, it doesn't appear to be com completely clear. There are overlaps with uh, cyclical vomiting syndrome, which can be brought on by different unknowns. And there are often correlations to things like strong smells and that. And some people who have ongoing cyclical vomiting syndrome, um, they, they've had that. They, they may not know exactly what's What's triggered, what's triggered that? So the, the trial with Ethan, Ethan Russo was looking for, um, let's say, uh, polymorphisms, you know, um, genetic variations that may be connected to an increased risk. Now, uh, it had been going on for some time, the shout out to get folks involved in the trial. I think I mentioned it to a few other people that had the opportunity to participate. I'm not sure if anyone had had or or looked into it further at the time. Um, but it was a pretty small sort of study group that, that they ended up with. It was like, I forget the, the figures here, but it was, it was, I think, like less than 30 or so as the cannabinoid hyperemesis patients. And then it was down to about 12 controls, down to then uh, only 10 of them were actually eligible to compare against. So th th there was... There was a conclusion that there was some genetic correlations. Actually, of interest was the fact that um, variations in the CB1 and CB2 were not found in the correlations to an increased risk, but variations in the, the TRPV1, TRPV1 receptor, um, that was connected, that was connected to, hmm. to some correlations, and that was the that is the mechanism by which some people have said that applying hot pepper or you know things like this um has calmed down the calmed down the the, the vomiting syndrome they've had mm -hmm. um the trip v1 receptor system is now considered to be what they call 
part of the endocannabinoid dome. So the endocannabinoid system has now been expanded in concept to the endocannabinoid dome, which includes the TRIP-V1 receptor system, which predates cannabinoid signaling. So the cannabinoid receptor system showed up around 600 million years ago, but the TRIP-V1 receptor um, is traced back to about a billion years ago. And it's interesting, uh, CBD has direct action um, with the older uh, receptor network and other plant compounds do as well. So they found some correlations, but um, the, the, the other, just to mention some of the, the, let's say the drama or controversy around the whole study, I think came up in some of our, our green room chats around the subject before we, uh, before we dived and talked more about it would be that um, there was a big pushback from some of the cannabis community online to not participate in the study because they were saying the information was just to be sold off for some company to try and push some products. And this, um, I believe that half the study had been funded by Ethan Russo and his research side, possibly even him personally funding some, I'm not totally sure on that. But the other half, um, a company um, involved, which is specializing in um, analyzing DNA variations to connect them up with what's known in health reports. And then the poor people are objecting as they're going the extra step to say, this might be a suggested profile for you based on your DNA analysis. Now, I don't have, when I got involved in this, I was, I was aware of, of what was going on there. And it's anonymized um, DNA um, Printouts. The only the only difference this company has is they have it correlated with a detailed, let's say, a, a health assessment or a health report of what you say about your your background and your various things. And you could you could get your DNA analysis done through other mechanisms like those family tree type mechanisms, whatever. If you had the breakdown of the raw data, you could go yourself and figure it out from what's been correlated. So within that breakdown with that company's offering um, is there's some interesting things like to say that, oh, you've, you've got a, your genetic variant has been flagged here, you know, and it could have contradictory outcomes. It could say one study that your genetic variant was shown to be like, you know, increased, uh, increased um, prone to, you know, anxiety or something. But here's another study which shows that so your genotype was, was of a decreased uh, risk of that based on these parameters of how that is. So it's just putting information together, which I think it's, I think it's really helpful, um, the information that can be found from it, not to be taken as any conclusive thing, but to look a bit into your background. And actually the one, the one angle of interest I was quite uh, um, quite interested to hear across the board. So this company, what, what I got in return for participating in the study, in addition to contributing my story to say I hadn't had vomiting problems um, and I could contribute in that was I got a full breakdown of what's known about my system correlated to what's in, you know, with that. Um, so that that's pretty cool. Well, one of the things that's covered um, is the the concerns people have of introducing cannabis into society, higher THC access, as to say, you know, the whole 
psychosis, schizophrenia, um, triggering. Outside of that, there has been some genetic variations of the CB1 receptor in some types, which have been shown to have either an increased risk of, um, let's say, you know, having a potential transient psychotic experience, or it could be deemed as um, the metabolism of THC or just the, the CB1 variant responds responds differently. So anyway, that's covered in this genetic analysis. So, um, for example, I know that I am not genetically prone based on the information that's known where there has been some genetic correlations. And then the other thing is they do have genetic correlations of um, certain genotypes which have been correlated with a, an inability to metabolize THC. And that typically is people who have a very bad experience from edibles. And even when they try a low dose of edibles, they could be a standout in a group. Like if you give it to 10 people, everyone was fine, but there was one person, even with a low dose, they couldn't tolerate it. And they were saying it was, they were still feeling strange the next day. Um, there has been some genetic correlations on the ability to metabolize. So again, having that genetic variant doesn't mean that, that you're specifically going to have that but it just, it's like one of your potential epigenetic opportunity outcomes of how you could swing, it seems, you know? Yeah. That's where it's useful information. Mm -hmm. But some objected to the way it was being pitched as, oh, if you've got this type, then you should buy this product with this ratio to this terpene profile. I mean, I, I would take that as a, as, a, as a suggested pairing on the side, but the raw data I found interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And as you say, the, the more we get, the more we can correlate to get rid of outlying variables and other factors to understand the ubiquity of this across humanity so that we can start to understand the other variants in uh, different races, people that have grown up in different climates, that eat different foods. Because again, the endocannabinoid system and I suppose the dome now to a larger extent will entirely be influenced by the diet, by pollution in the air, all of these different things. I mean, if you look at the study of epigenetics, it's it's interesting that you say that these people with high doses of edibles, I mean, it's it's almost as if then, obviously, you know, the genetic switches is a very crude way of, of speaking of this. I can hear a few scientist friends of mine screaming in my ear. Um, but effectively, then having an, an event that then triggers within the system a change of sort of levels of sensitivity. And so with the, would correlate to, as you said, with smells and whatever else that there's then, in my estimation or understanding, there must be some sort of uh, ground zero and some sort of initiation point for this transition. If there are these groups of individuals that are extreme or large, would have got heavy cannabis consumers, <laughs> extreme cannabis consumers out there on surfboards and shit. Um, but yeah, they are heavy cannabis consumers. Then they're just having this, this, this moment and obviously, I think if we're then seeing the prevalence of it, in my head, I'm looking at correlatory data that obviously doesn't equal causation. There's more weed. There's more people that are having this problem with weed. Is that weed or is it the way that they're getting that weed? Do, do, do you know what I mean? Oh, so, yeah, back, back, back to that point. So I never um, dived onto this side. Now, I published an article just the other day on my, my LinkedIn, just on the personal, about... Um, pesticide synergist called piperonal butoxide, I think that's how you pronounce it. And I've wrote a whole thing on it, but why it caught my attention was um, since about 2014, there was a study done and it was shown to inhibit 
CB1 signaling and inhibit the CB1 receptor. And it's used as a synergist with pesticides. And because it's a synergist, some regulation, various parts of the world, has considered it not an active compound of its own, so not really sub subject to many maximum residue levels. And then, so it's tested as safe on its own, but it works by how it works is it slows down the insect's liver's ability to process pesticides. So the pesticides at the liver, the, the pesticides that the insects were able to tolerate when the synergist was put in, they couldn't tolerate because they couldn't break down the pesticide and they were killed by the toxic reaction. Now, <laughs> um, the WHO says that for a 70 kilo adult, 14 milligram of that per day is fine, according to them. And uh, now it's various countries in Europe have taken different actions to reduce or remove it. Health Canada has banned it in medical cannabis, but it's in it's permitted in like Colorado and Oregon. There's some products that are 90% pure in this compound, which is known to inhibit CB1 signaling. And when we had the previous discussions about neem oil and the cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome and i know that everyone thinks the whole uh, the, the neem the neem compounds have been discussed and looked at but what was not really plugged in in the bigger perspective is the the production of neem in different environments that this pesticide synergist is often present in neem products and because of different regulation it doesn't always need listed as an ingredient or it's been there in the present in the in the process of production of the neem. Um, and like we have the concept of a positive entourage effect where 20 years ago, we were told that these small traces of terpenes could not, positively, could not possibly be having any active effect because they're at far too low doses. They're below their known active levels. But we know when you put them together, this entourage effect, this synergy, positive happens. So the idea of a negative synergy, when we're going to put multiple pesticides together in a cocktail and only test them one at a time and not really test the, you know, the, the theory is the theory is um, is definitely there for for trouble. Let's say, and I I would say that uh, since that time, actually, there there are others that point out since two thousand and four or since around that turned up there have been some products that are brought on the market where folks have said, you know, this is of this is of natural origin, you know, drench the plants in this all the way through till uh, till the till the end or whatever it is. And when I had first came across this compound, so there's actually there's been in Canada and the States, there's been some patients at home who have grown their own and it's then tested positive for the synergist which blocks C B1 and they've not found it on the label of anything they were using. And again, it's been, you know, maybe a contaminant of of a uh, of neem or mm. or something like that. So yeah, that, that theory of the of the negative um entourage effect of sorts adding up cannot be ruled out in the bigger mm -hmm. bigger picture of just health and what's going on, you know. Yeah, exactly. I think it's 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 twofold in it. There is obviously the genetic component, but then there is obviously the precipitous event. Um, and it's interesting then that we're saying about it affecting regulation of certain uh, cannabinoid receptors because then it's going to affect the synergy of the cannabinoid compounds themselves, <clears throat> and this change um, the potential of uh, a transient psychosis, psychotic or psychosis type event. Um, or have a because you're not getting the whole compound 
in the way that it's intended to be protecting of that kind of experience. You know what I mean? So then we're talking about uh, concentration of these things. When you then start to get up to vape pens and things like that, I think then, yeah, you've got a, quite a cocktail of all kinds well, of shit. Oh, yeah. So this uh, where, where I came across that, that compound that synergist are mentioning to you, it was actually a few years ago, early on in the, the hemp industry where I came across it. And it was a, a new farm in Europe that had been that had been checking out whatever and farmer had sent some samples and uh, we were doing some further tests and we discovered on the, of this sample we've been looking at discovered this synergist and some other some, some amount of some pesticide which we didn't want to to see there and we're surprised to see there so we said to the farmer this is a uh, this is not cool we've uh, found this in the analysis where does this come from and the farmer he was he was surprised in a way of like, like, I don't know, I didn't use this stuff, you know, has it come from some other drift? And I was like, well, the concentration present, like it's been fairly direct by the, by the concentration that's on here. And this is while we're just at a, you know, a two or 4% or whatever CBD biomass you're talking about. If you're going to amplify that up multiple times and um, it's starting at an unacceptable level and where we traced, where we traced it down, what had happened, and this was after some further investigation was this compound also gets used in storage pesticides. So this is the thing that uh, some farmer who's grown and harvested and uh, given his harvest over to his mate or whatever has went and stored it in the barn. Either the guy's been using a storage pesticide on his wheat or perhaps something has been going on in the local environment as to why he thought this was uh, normal to go and do this. But, you know, we were checking out all those things in the chain and, and found that. But, you know, that's just innocently in different products in this various foods, especially in the States where they can have a lot more amount of that in their food supply. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you throw that, that into the mix, um, it, you know, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's not clear. And this is the thing. So like that study of Ethan Russo's, they found some genetic correlations and they have these patients where typically that's happened after cannabis, but there are a large section of people with those same sort of, symptoms have triggered by it, other things in the cyclical vomit. There's a cyclical vomiting uh, association who have a full uh, rundown breakdown of, uh, of all the similarities in that as well. So there's definitely something going on, but, you know. Exactly. We're seeing that in the larger areas where it's legalized, they're not using the expertise from the hydro, hydro industry and the people that have learned about the plant. They're going to big ag and using their techniques and, and, and their, their protocols and, again, the legislative a legislator isn't then protecting the people from it because it's information that they don't yet know. Um, so again, that that's going to be in food and everything else, as you say. So it would make sense that if people then have this exposure and have this suppression of a T, uh, CB1 receptor, sorry, uh, in the body, that then when they're producing endogenous cannabinoids and whatever, that's going to have a negative health effect anywhere. It's going to affect their immunity and whatever. So then when they're exposed to these things, um, it's going to compound that effect. So then when they are exposed to cannabis, in the receptor can't then deal with the, the 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 volume in the way that it should be dealt with yeah you can imagine then there's got to be an alternative way the, the the system works through through that and as i said before it doesn't go through those gateways do you, do, do you know what i mean it's a very crude way yeah, of describing it worth mentioning there that as i said that in the in the genetic variations it wasn't correlated with genetic variations in the cd1 receptor which has been correlated with some of the transient psychotic at risk um, types but that 
trip V1 receptor, which is the one that uh, is stimulated by various herbs and things in nature, and the older one, that was the one that was correlated with a, a variant. And if that's you know it's, uh, goes back a billion years or whatever, um, you know we haven't we haven't looked at what these synergists. I know that detail about the CV1 signaling in the synergists, but the trip V1 receptor, if that's the thing that's dysregulated, you know all these uh, a negative a negative entourage effect is not not out of the question, you know. Well, yeah, as we start to understand more of everything being so intimately linked within within the body, it's the same, I guess, of the global ecology, really, that if it's going in somewhere, it's going to come out somewhere else. It's going to be be an issue in somewhere. Uh, I appreciate you catching me up on that. I feel a bit more informed, and I'm hoping uh, some of the people do at home as well. With us being quite mindful of time, uh, any other points either of you would like to sort of raise, put on the record, anything you think... Uh, people should be aware of for right now? Well, um, nah. Th- that you can put out on the record, we'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, 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 all right, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other than I don't think my bladder's designed for two-hour-long <laughs> Mine either, to be honest with you. So, uh, yeah, in that case, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. And obviously, you're both dealing with certain things and involved in quite a lot of things. So I do hope to see you both back here at some point soon when information is in the public sphere and we can discuss this further. Um, but I'm grateful for you both taking the time, as always, putting over my rants. And, uh, yeah, just helping catch, catch me personally up and hopefully our listeners with kind of what's been going down in all the misdirection and the smoke and mirrors. So hopefully, people, if you are a bit more informed, uh, do check out uh, the links that I'm going to share below for some of the information that we've discussed and uh, where you can keep up with Hempound. And, uh, yeah, keep an eye on, on Kyle and what he's up to um, with the Scottish Hemp Association and Holistic Hemp. So... Do check them out, guys. Give them some support and love. And thank you very much. Great. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Been excellent. Oh, look, I'll oh. take these off. Oh. I haven't, oh. I haven't first stopped yet. Sorry. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. Here's your, here's your outtake. Here's your outtake. Sorry, I just realised. Yeah, yeah, buy it. All the usual housekeeping, folks. Like, share, subscribe. Find me on all social media at The Simple Life. Uh, check us out on Patreon.com where you can help keep the lights on on this little project. Ever ex- more increasingly expensive lights, I'll have you know. Uh, it's very warm in here because we need such a beautiful lighting. So if you want to contribute to that, check us out on Patreon.com forward slash The Simple Life. And uh, yeah, peace, love. See you next week. <laughs>